Welcome to the Agency Profit Podcast, a show dedicated to going deep space on agency operations, which is just as nerdy as it sounds. I'm your host, Marcel Petipoff. I'm the CEO of Parakeeto, a firm that helps digital and creative agencies measure and improve their profitability. Join me as I interview some of the smartest thought leaders and agency owners in our space and go deep into operations and metrics and all the other things you need to get right so you can spend less time worrying about operations and more time executing on your vision. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Agency Profit Podcast. I'm very excited to introduce you all today to a special person that was introduced to me by somebody on his team, actually. So for those of you that believe that certain things can't be scaled, there's a process for everything. And his team had a process for reaching out to me and saying, hey, here are some really cool things that Keith can talk to us about on the podcast. It was super relevant. And I said, yeah, let's do it. We had some chats back and forth. And now he's here on the show. He's the CEO of an amazing agency called O3 World. They are 15 years old. They have scaled uh, a fairly big team and done some really cool work work with some really big brands. They've now spun off O3 Ventures where they're investing in some pretty cool technology companies and spaces in their city. He's also the co-founder of the Forge Conference, which is a 300-person UX and design conference that's run for the last three years. And the co-founder of 1682, which is an invite-only business of innovation conference that he hosts. So this guy is busy. This guy is involved in the community. He's doing a lot of cool stuff and he's here today to share his stories, his lessons, and his tactics from growing his agency. So with all of that, Keith, I'm extremely excited to have you here on the show. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. That was a heck of an intro. I pride myself on having elaborate intros. I really appreciate that. I feel like there was like, there should have been some like background music as I, as I, as I came up to the mic or something. <laughs> I'm going to bring that up to the content team. Say like, we need some, we need some background music for the intros because they're getting pretty epic. Well, it's um, pretty funny just to touch on that for a second. We have this labs program. We started a long time ago that we can kind of touch on, but, but one of the things we, um, uh, we experimented with uh, was this uh, called a theme music app. And so once you had the, the app on your phone, you'd walk up the stairs um, and basically you would choose your song and it would, hit the, um, it would hit the stereo and your song would play as you walked into the office. Uh, so <laughs> the thing was hard to maintain and keep up and such uh, technology wise, but for the short time it lasted, it was, it was awesome. Uh, that's amazing. I, I love little internal projects like that. And uh, maybe I'll have to rig something up like that with my Alexis in my house that I just set up. Yeah, try to get some good. theme music as I come down my stairs. I like that idea. Yeah. So listen, uh, you've got a pretty um, interesting backstory mm-hmm. from being an actor in LA to starting your agency to getting involved with all the other interesting things that you're doing today. Um, yeah. I've given everyone a little bit of context, but I'd love uh, for you to just tell everyone that's listening a little bit more about yourself what you do and uh, how you got here. Sure. Yeah. My, my journey, as you, as you suggested, has been pretty unorthodox. Uh, so, um, so after uh, college, um, I went to, um, I went to college in Maryland, Loyola, uh, and I, and I went out to Los Angeles to, to pursue acting. Um, I had only been in one play in, um, in college, but I don't know, there's something very kind of infectious about the experience. Um, I really kind of uh, dove head first in, into it. Uh, so I wanted to go to LA for, I think a couple of reasons. One, I think I was more interested in kind of film and television than I was the theater. And also I just hated the cold weather in the Northeast. Um, so I think that was another reason. So went out there, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anything about the industry. Um, and just kind of tried to find my way. Um, obviously getting some odd jobs at first, uh, and then just kind of pursuing the best way I could through getting agents getting auditions. Um, and so I spent a good seven years out there and I learned a lot about myself, learned a lot about the industry and learned that I didn't want to be in the industry. <laughs> and I think that the, uh, the, the big reason why, and I did a lot of different things from um, acting on stage, acting in some small, you know, kind of independent films and TV things and such. Um, and I actually was even an entertainment reporter. I interviewed celebrities on the, on the red carpet uh, at Junkets, which was, which was pretty cool. Nice. Um, but I wrote a play that was produced and I realized that through that experience that I liked sort of being behind the scenes instead of, um, you know, in front of them. So, um, because I was, I was the one that was tasked with having to hire the director. I'd had to hire the additional actors, including myself, in addition to myself, I had to put the set design together. I had to promote the play. So, um, and obviously as I said, I wrote it. So I really liked that I was kind of playing this role. Um, it's almost like I, I look at it as like now running a company, like leading an orchestra of like just deciding, 
you know, the different pieces that need to be in place, the different special specialties, when you bring up one section and when you kind of, you know, um, uh, kind of silence or, um, you know, uh, bring down one other section, uh, you know, a section in an orchestra. So, um, but about after seven years of, of being in that industry, I decided to pack up my bags and come back East because I was from the Philadelphia area originally. And, you know, I, I, I had no plan, uh, quite honestly, this was when I was, I was 20, uh, 28, I think at that, at, at that point I had debt and no plan. Um, and obviously not much of a resume other than, you know, being an actor or, or pursuing uh, acting. Um, so I, I just, um, I worked some connections. I pitched the convention center on a marketing idea. They bought it. They hired me as a consultant. And then I went to work at this sort of small um, uh, entertainment, online entertainment city guide. And then in addition to the online entertainment city guide, so they did a lot of writing and covering events and covering openings and such. And they hired me as a marketing person to oversee the editorial team because I had experience, you know, a lot of writing and I had, was published in the past and a lot of things. Um, also just kind of like building up their brand in a lot of ways. And another piece of their company was they would do small website projects, web design development mm-hmm. projects. Um, and so their, their model was that they would get paid to do the website project. And then they would use the online entertainment city guide to essentially promote that brand. So they'd give them advertising, they would do an article on them, whatever it may be, et cetera. Um, well, on that side, I started to understand web development. I understand the design, I'm sorry, the, the sales process of basically web design and really wanted to help them scale, but they didn't want to, they didn't want to, they wanted to continue to work on very small brands, like small, you know, mom and pop or bars and restaurants. And so I met a couple guys there that were freelancers there. One was a web designer, one was a web developer. And we just decided to, to start our business 15 years ago. And it was kind of marketing design and technology. I ran the sort of marketing or sales or account side. And then the other two partners, you know, kind of took the other two departments. So um, that's how we started. And honestly, very much bootstrapped. There was no, we were we no money invested um, into it. We built the business on just building business. Um, and that was it. Just one thing kind of led to another. And so today, where is all three world in terms of, you know, size of the team and kind of some of the accolades that you guys have had? Because uh, I mean, you're humble about this stuff, but you guys have accomplished quite a bit uh, over those 15 years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for one, just being around for 15 years, I mean, I'm, I'm very humbled and very proud about that. Uh, certainly, that's hard to do, I think, in any industry. Um, yeah, certainly in the, in the tech industry, because it moves so fast. I think it's really, really challenging. Um, I've even seen, you know, not just the industry, but even in the city, in the industry, I've seen a lot of uh, some agencies that I looked up to are now, you know, not around anymore. Uh, so just being around 15 years in general, you know, sort of, sort of proud of that. Um, we're a team of 50 people. Uh, we're all full-time in-house, um, uh, which is great and something that, that plays a big role in sort of our collaborative nature of the, the work that we do, the type of work that we do, and also our, our culture just kind of in general. Um, you know, we've kind of, and we've transitioned over, over the years. Um, as I said, you really kind of need to adapt to new technologies and to opportunities um, and show that you can't just say you're an innovative company. You have to show that you're willing to be innovative. So we started as brand communications company doing identity development and small websites. And then a few years in, we then just became a digital agency. We focused just on larger websites, more complex e-commerce websites, um, some API development, a lot of custom integration work with third parties, proprietary software and such. And then it was about maybe eight years ago or so um, that we looked at it as like, you know, web development is becoming kind of a commodity, number one. Um, number two, um, we don't really like working project to project. We want to have more impact and influence on the work that we do. And so it was funny. We were in this, we were in this, I'm sure that a lot of agencies feel this way. We were in this constant sales cycle. Like we would, you know, work really hard to get the client. We would do the work and then we'd sort of lose them. Not because we did anything wrong, just because the project was over. And, yeah. but the, but the, the thought was always like looking over the shoulders of the people you're working with and be like, where's the next client. And we kind of took a step, take a, we took a step back and said, you know, we have a lot of great clients. Maybe we just need to meet with them more and sell them a little bit more about who we are and what we do and build a more kind of meaningful, more long-term strategic relationship with them. So that was a big shift. We actually built in a count strategy layer that was built to actually sell into clients. So that, that was big. Um, but also we just said we wanted to be a digital product company. And the reason was that we realized that we really loved working on new business ideas and new digital products, typically in the startup space. But we said, what if we took the same concept and we just did it in the enterprise space? So we're looking for enterprise organizations looking to target a new demo. We're still going to use this like MVP, you know, or prototype or 
uh, you know, quick scaling approach that we would do for a, um, uh, a startup business. But let's just kind of try to use that, you know, in the enterprise space. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's worked. And honestly, when we put it out there as a digital product agency, we weren't a digital product agency. I mean, we kind of put it out there. We're like, I hope this catches on. Um, and we just kind of got one and then another and just kind of kept pushing that way and kind of kept telling our clients. Um, and so that's kind of how we've evolved. And the digital product agency, I think it's just kind of an underpinning. I mean, really what we do is sometimes brought in to do just what I explained. We'll just be, we'll be the digital product team. They have an idea. We'll help uh, strategize with them on what the landscape looks like, what the opportunity looks like, put a roadmap together for them and become their team around strategy, design and development over the course of several years. We have a couple of relationships that are six plus years. Nice. Other times we uh, were brought in, you know, to kind of do digital transformation work and whether it's we're brought in at first to look at their entire digital ecosystem and from their user experience, the customer journey, the, you know, the technology, et cetera, and to provide eight to 12 month recommendations, then longer term recommendations, or sometimes we just start with a really, really big project. Then just over time, as I, you know, expressed, we stay in touch with them and we continue to find other ways to pr provide value either to, you know, the team we're dealing with or other departments um, to eventually get to a point where we're having more impact and influence. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of our um, uh, role these days, which for a 50 person company is, is you know, it, it says a lot is really almost being like business consultants. We're really right in the middle of a lot of uh, business challenges and, and, and business problems that um, clients are having that we're helping them solve. I love how um, you guys just kind of picked a position, you positioned yourself as that, and then like earned your way into feeling like, you know, you should be there positioning yourself as it. I feel like a lot of agencies hold themselves back from making a pivot that they need to make just like yeah. you guys needed to make because they don't feel like they have the chops or the portfolio to do it. Yeah. Um, and the reality is, you know, most of the time they've gotten to where they are by being scrappy and figuring things out. And so there's yeah. no reason why they can't continue to do it. So I absolutely love that. Now, what I want to dig into with you is obviously 50 years in the game, you've seen a lot of things change. Your yeah. team has grown, you know, from zero or, you know, a couple of guys, a couple of freelancers and you right. up to 50 people today. Um, what have been some of those really significant growing pains that you remember encountering along the way that you had to overcome uh, to get to where you are today? Yeah. So, uh, you know, first of all, there was, you know, the recession 2008, 2009. I mean, we were, we were literally almost out of business. Um, we, I remember sitting around and we had tapped our line of credit um, and we had not taken a couple paychecks uh, already. And there's three owners looking at each other, just had no idea where to get the additional money to, to make payroll. And I remember our, uh, our, our CTO or, or you know, um, uh, our one partner essentially at the time, who was also running the, running the books, just with like, was that his computer? And I think just sort of like looking at our bank uh, account and all of a sudden saw this deposit for like, I think it was like 5,000 bucks or so. It was a, it was um, from a hosting arrangement that we had for getting, uh, you know, getting this um, business for the hosting client, essentially through one of our clients. This is one of their referral kind of fees that, that we were able to get that we had no idea it was coming. We had no idea the amount. It just literally magically appeared in our account literally hours before we were going to have to make payroll. I mean, that was the absolute closest we've ever come to being out of business. Um, but it also made you feel like there's like a sort of a star over our head. Like, what are the chances this thing shows up out of nowhere? And, you know, and for a company that size at that time, 5,000 bucks was, you know, kind of a lot of money. That <laughs> was a big deal. Um, so, so the recession was really, really, really challenging. Um, that's one. Um, you know, I think the other thing is that... Um, you know, when you start a business, I think people are like, they're, maybe they're a great designer or they're a great developer and they find some people they want to work with. And they're like, I want to do, I want to do more of this. Um, I think what they don't realize that like running a business is a lot of like things you don't like doing. Um, there's a lot of operational pieces. Uh, there's, there's obviously finance um, and managing that appropriately, which is really, really extraordinarily difficult to do. There's obviously, you know, kind of legal and insurance and benefits and things of that nature. And you know, and then just kind of like people problems as well. And you just learn a lot over time kind of, or, or client problems. I mean, the, the scope creep that every agency deals with, um, you know, the only way you get better at it is get burned by it a bunch of times. And you start then tightening up your statements of work and, and your, you know, your MSAs, you know, even more. Um, so, um, so that, that was a, that was a big learning, uh, learning uh, um, point for us. Um, and I think the other thing is that, you know, we've always uh, spent 
a lot of time, energy, and money on making sure that we had the right people in place that were in non-billable roles. And I think that's something that a lot of agencies really wait on as long as possible. I think the biggest thing is always like a project manager. They want to do it themselves. Like, I don't need a project manager. And then they finally hire one. Like, why did it take me so long to hire a project manager? (laughs) So I think it's the same thing with like, uh, you know, a person in finance or HR, which we have at a 50-person company. And we actually had her when we were a 30-person company. Um, So really jumped way ahead of that. We have a recruiter now, full-time recruiter at 50 people. Normally, that would never happen at a company our size. So we really spend a lot of time on the operational side of the business. Um, You know, when they say like working in or working on the business, we work on the business, you know, quite often um, and really take our heads out of the account work and the day-to-day stuff for the, what we're producing for clients and really focus on how can we grow our organization um, and treat it with the same care that we treat, you know, the work that we produce for our clients. Yeah, this are, this are some great points. And I, I want to certainly dig into that a little bit more um, because I think, you know, we, we see that a lot. Uh, it's incredibly talented creatives that kind of end up with a business by accident and yeah. just, you know, it's, it's just not something that they ever sometimes planned or expected to do, but it's the reality now. And uh, there's a learning curve, certainly, to, to learning this business model that, to your point, especially from a financial perspective, can become extremely complex very quickly. Um, and it's very, very challenging to manage when you are dealing with people and their time. And that is the way that you essentially live and die uh, as uh, in the service business model. Yeah. So I'm really curious to know, you know, if you had kind of like a top one, two or three lessons from the last 15 years that, um, you know, you, you would want to give to a new agency owner that's just kind of starting out, what would those uh, key messages be? Um, so number one, I think that, uh, you know, you said before about, you know, kind of taking risk in, in some regard or, 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 or pivoting. Um, I think that people don't, I think they need to look at their business as if they were a client themselves. So a lot of times when we uh, approach uh, labs projects or we approach the ventures projects or we approach internal projects, we try to treat it as much as a client as possible. We put like a real budget on it. We try to manage to that as such. And we try to resource um, appropriately as well. I mean, certainly it'll take a little bit of a backseat to client work, but not that much and not that long. So I really think that you need to make a commitment on how are you going to stay ahead of the curve? Because that's why you're getting business. Uh, you can't just keep your head down and just keep delivering uh, what the client's asking of you. Um, you need to really spend some time uh, to kind of um, take your head out of that and, and look kind of like uh, into the future a little bit more about how you're going to grow as an organization. Um, so I think that's a, I think that's a big thing. Um, the other thing is that just the importance of, um, of finance and cash flow. Uh, you know, I think it's really, really critical to be really smart with your your finances and your cash flow to have as much runway uh, as possible. Um, so uh, you're going to have ups and downs uh, in the agency world, um, and especially if your project you're project based. So really try to um, protect yourself against the the downs as much as possible, so you don't have to kind of lay people off and such. Um, I think that's uh, I think that's really, really critical, and that's why I think that. Unless you have a background specifically in finance or operations, I think it's really important that you hire somebody that has that, uh, that focuses on that. And what I mean that is as quickly as you can, not just somebody who's a bookkeeper. That's far different than being strategic about finance. I mean, you know, we probably about six years ago brought in the CFO with a tremendous amount of experience that completely changed the trajectory of our company just because we weren't being strategic. I mean, we still had a little bit of debt. You know, we just weren't, um, we, we had some money in the bank that we could have been making more of an interest on by putting it in a um, money savings account. Um, a lot of things that we just weren't aware of because we were just, we were collecting checks, we we're putting in the account, we we're paying people, we we're paying vendors and getting back to work. But we never looked at strategically. So I think that finance is extraordinarily important, again, not just to make money and pay money, but really there is a lot of uh, metrics essentially associated with knowing when you should hire people, when you may have to, you know, lay off people. Um, you know, all those things are really, really critical. Um, you know, utilization numbers we look at, uh, we look at weekly. Uh, that's really, really important. That's a real indicator of how busy you actually are and kind of what you can handle and when you need to hire more or when you're kind of struggling in some, in some regards. So I think finance is extraordinarily uh, important. Um, the other thing, The other thing is that be really honest with yourself about what you're good at. I think too often uh, people are afraid to not make the client happy 
or they're afraid to lose the business. So they say, yes, they'll do it. And yes, they can do it. And ultimately, I think they stress themselves out, number one. And number two, I think that they eventually realize that they aren't that good at it. And yeah. it hurts your brand. I mean, eventually, a client, you know, it's just like you were great at design, but you sucked at development. Like, why didn't you just say you can't do development? Why do you find a, find a partner for development? For us, we've always been really, really honest about this is our strengths and this is stuff we don't do. Now, we'll, we'll try to help as sort of a lead agency to try to find you partners in some way that we think may be a fit. But we're also, if we don't think we're a fit for either one piece of it or the technology you're looking for or whatever it may be, we're really honest with people. And I think that that builds a, a trust um, over time. Um, they, they know that you're not in there for the, the land grab or just to get more money. They really, really, really appreciate that. And sometimes, honestly, we've walked away from deals that from really big clients that we could have, we could have gotten some work out of. And I think that they value that uh, quite a bit. So just be honest. Like don't, don't mm-hmm. focus that I just need this business or don't be scared. I might lose this business or I might not make them happy. Um, just be really honest about what you're good at and what you're not. Um, and uh, I think, again, I think that people are really reluctant to do that. I think that goes a really, really long way. Do you want some free resources to help you measure and improve your profitability? If you do, then I want to tell you about our agency profitability toolkit, which you can grab absolutely free in the show notes or by heading to paraketo.com forward slash toolkit. It's packed with training videos, cheat sheets, templates, and all kinds of other great resources to help you start measuring and improving the essential metrics that are going to drive better profitability in your business. And it's helped thousands of other agencies around the world do the same. So I want to encourage you to go and grab a copy of that. And if you'd rather get in the fast lane and just have our team of experts guide you through the process of measuring and improving your profitability, then I want to encourage you to apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. And with that, I want to thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the episode and I'll let you get back to it. Yeah, I, I want to dig in on that point specifically because I'm actually going through that with an agency that I'm working with right now where I'm on our next call, like I'm planning to sit them down and give them the feedback. Like you guys are doing an amazing job over here, but you really shouldn't be doing these other two things because I've had to, you know, rewrite the copy that you wrote and I had to find a designer to fix the designs that you did. But like, you're doing really good on this stuff over here. So like, I would still pay you the same amount of money if you didn't do this other stuff, like just focus on that. And to your point, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily great for the brand, but it also from an operational perspective, and I'm sure you've run into this as well. You say yes to something that you don't have a process for. And all of a sudden the scope on that goes out of whack. You end up not really making any additional money on it or it ties your team up and takes their time away from working on other things that actually make you more money, more gross margin. So it can create a lot of indigestion as well. I've seen that happen time and time again to lots of the folks that I've talked to. And um, it sounds like you've had that experience as well. And it's helped inform this, this opinion. Yeah. And, and listen, I mean, I say we're still very specialized, but when it comes to the digital space, uh, you know, we're very balanced, meaning, um, you know, we do design and development and we have 25 in-house engineers and we have, you know, 10 probably in the experience design you know, space as well. So we really are, um, when we say we do it all, we do. But I think a lot of times you see design shops that like, you know, they're like design heavy and they got like a couple developers or they're development heavy and they got like a couple designers. Um, but that's just not good enough. Um, I really think that you, if you can't do it all, don't do it all to your point with the agency that you're, you're kind of, you know, speaking, uh, speaking with. I'll tell you the other thing that really enables us for us being balanced like that um, but this is also, you have to be comfortable with it. We partner with a lot of, um, complementary agencies. So, um, or just firm, might be development shops, but they might be very dev heavy and don't have a UX or design team. We have no problem being brought in and work with them as long as there's a level of respect and a clear understanding of who's doing what. The mm-hmm. fact that we do development, we don't need to do all of it, but the fact that we know how to speak with developers, we know how to pass things off is very, very helpful for them and helpful for us and vice versa. So and that's also an aspect of like not being greedy. Sometimes we're okay not coming in and have to be the only agency. As long as that we're kind of respectful of one another, um, uh, you know, we're happy to work with one another. And, and I'll tell you, that's, that's brought us a lot of business because to be open-minded like that, you have these other agencies and other networks, they're willing to sell your services because they know that you're not going to come in and make them look bad or try to steal their client away. Um, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so I think that's, um, I think it's, I think it's critical in a lot of ways. 
Well, that's another interesting thing that I want to dig into because when you came into the agency space, especially in a place like Philadelphia on the yeah. East Coast, you were coming into a pretty saturated, pretty competitive market. There was a lot of big dogs uh, that were kind of dominating that space. And somehow you managed to carve uh, a business out for yourself and grow it. And like, to your point, survive for 15 years. Um, and that doesn't happen by accident. How have you uh, changed the way that you look at competition and the way that you react to competition in the space uh, over that experience? Yeah, it's good. It's a good question. I mean, so there's a couple of things. One of the reasons we started the business um, and we're lucky is because we were naive. <laughs> like, uh, you know, I didn't have experience in the agency space. I didn't know how saturated or competitive it was. And if I did, I'd be like, wow, I don't know if I should have done this. Uh, we didn't really have that strong of a business plan. Um, it just seemed like a really, really good opportunity. Um, I've obviously become a little bit more aware of now the competition and the, and the importance Um I do think that it's really critical to be uh, aware of your competition, uh, certainly locally, but I think nationally as well, if you're, you're kind of growing and, and in a lot of, a lot of ways, number one, I think it's important to know sort of what they stand for and what your differentiators are. So uh, just in general, if you're in a, a pitch or so, you're able to kind of speak to that. I think in some cases it's just inspiration. I mean, there's a, I, I'm, I'm friendly with a lot of agency owners in town and actually outside of town. Uh, and very open with, we're very open with one another. Uh, we're not really hiding from one another, uh, you know, kind of how we're doing or successes or frankly setbacks. So I, that number one, from a kind of a business therapy standpoint, that, that feels great. But also, um, you just learn a lot from them, things that they're doing. And, and maybe, you know, I just look at this in general. I mean, I, I meet with a lot of CEOs or business owners, not just in the agency space and not in small, large, everything. I think the idea is that you shouldn't just read a book or you shouldn't just follow a leader in your space. You should take bits and pieces from all of these different people and make it your own. And that's really sort of what I did. I have my own sort of leadership philosophy, but also I'm still inexperienced in a lot of things in life and in business. So I try to meet with other people that basically give me either inspiration or ideas that I can kind of like add on top of what I already have. Um, so, um, so yeah, I don't know if that, that helped answer your question, but... <laughs> Yeah, no, it's great. I, I look at it the same way. Obviously, you know, in the SaaS space, uh, there aren't a whole lot of people who are trying to do what we're doing, but I have spoken to a few people that tried and pivoted away or that are thinking about it. And I think it's important to kind of keep chatting because, you know, you never really know what kind of opportunities are going to come up. And everybody seems to find their lane, you know, and seems to find their little niche. And the better they get at that, the more likely they are to say, you know what, you're not a great fit, but I know somebody who's a better fit. Yeah. Um, and it's okay to, to do that. And in fact, it's a good idea to do that, because it shows that, um, you know, you're confident that you're the one in that space, and you guys will start to respect each other's uh, place in the market. Yeah, um, yeah I think uh, having this non-adversarial and kind of open relationship with the competition is something I've seen a lot of people have success with, and obviously it's working well for you as well. Um, it is tough in Philadelphia, though. I mean, people do have a, you know, it's a city that has this chip on its shoulder. Uh, so, yeah. uh, you know, we start, five years ago, we started this thing called Agency Field Day. And what we did is we actually looked at some of our biggest competitors in the agency space and it was just to go out and, and have fun for a day. We do a half a day where we do like, you know, whether it's a, a relay race or a tug of war or cornhole, and we just have some snacks, we have some drinks, and we all just hang out with one another. So it was really to kind of get the idea to break down the barrier. Like we might be competing, you know, during the day during, uh, you know, for work, but we're all, we're all sort of in this together and there should be enough business to go around. Um, I think the other thing back to your question about competition. Uh, so our competition has changed over time as well. I remember we were a branding company and then a web design company and now like almost like a digital consultancy. So the, the competition changes in, in some regard. Um, but I, you know, and, and, and for some reason since then I started to look at it as like one, it is saturated. You know, we were in the branding space. It's like, there's a lot of branding companies. Then we were in the web design space. There's a lot of web design companies. We got into e-commerce pretty early, early on with Magento and realized before long, there was tons of Magento partners. So we got out of that. So a lot of it is to also kind of stay ahead of the competition to some regard and kind of continue to create our own, our niche. And I don't think digital product agency is the last thing we're going to call ourselves. <laughs> I think there's going to be, I think there's going to be another evolution at some point that's been kind of a popular term and that's becoming, I guess, saturated and digital transformation is becoming saturated. And it's up to us to look for like the next pivot or the next, I don't even want to say a pivot, the next, uh, the next area of growth um, and just kind of adjusting, growing, maturing in some ways and kind of becoming in many ways sort of more, more and more specialized in kind of what we, uh, what we do. So. 
Now, this is an, this segues nicely into kind of the next thing that I wanted to ask you about, which is how you actually, what process you actually use to identify when it's time to start making these strategic changes, when it's time to start reorganizing your team around something that you know needs to be addressed or, you know, a change in direction that you guys are making as an organization. It's topical. We're coming up on the end of the year. A lot of people are doing annual planning and that kind of stuff. What are the systems that you guys have been using over time uh, to make sure that you've got a cadence for actually talking about and, and making decisions on these things? Uh, first of all, it's ongoing. I, I don't think there should just be like end of the year thing that you focus on. It should be ongoing. Everybody yeah. here um, should be curious. They should be curious about how we can do things better, how we can do things differently, how we could you know, make our clients happier, how we can make each other happier. I mean, and there are people here that are focused on all of those things. They're focused on client engagement and happiness. Um, they're focused on, obviously, on the delivery team from a design and development standpoint. They're on, you know, the the uh, uh, the accounts team to to be able to bring in, you know, additional uh, revenue. They're on the uh, they're on the HR team for just you know kind of employee engagement and happiness and such. And so each one of those individuals, each one of those departments can improve on everything that we do. Uh, they can improve on the um, tools or technologies that we use internally to be able to, to provide something uh, better. Um, there could be processes that could be more efficient. There could be things that are happening in the space, such as accessibility, which is a really big deal right now. You know, it, a committee was started with accessibility. It didn't start from my business partner and I. It started by some of the other leaders of the company. They put it together. They took ownership of it. They started the committee. Um, and now the work that we do is very driven by accessibility. They also decided to go get um, certification for it and taking a test around it. I didn't tell them to do that. We'll support them. We'll, we'll fund it. Um, but we didn't tell them to do that. So you have to have a culture that is not just a top down. It's not like you have to just wait for the owners to tell you what to do. You have to basically really empower everybody. Um, that uh, everybody's opinion matters. doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been in the role. Um, everybody's opinion can be heard. Then you have to obviously, as a team and a leadership team, you've got to prioritize. You, gotta, you, you have to decide, all right, we can't do all of these projects at the same exact time and give them 40% half-assed effort. We have to maybe you know, focus on you know, five of these uh, and they're really important. And maybe it's a new product. Maybe it's a new process. Um, uh, maybe it is deciding to pivot. Maybe you want to, you know, but we start about these things. We start talking about these things pretty far in advance. When I say far in advance, it might be six, eight months or so. We don't just decide now we're going to do it. We start planting the seed and it might be some side conversations. It might be over, you know, a couple of drinks or something along those lines. And then it just, we kind of put it out there and see the acceptance internally, starting just like the digital product stuff with clients. We start to mention things to clients. Maybe it's accessibility, maybe it's personalization. We start to just drip the idea and see kind of how they respond to certain things. We start to then go to certain conferences and to see how people are talking about it. We start getting out in the space and we start talking about it and seeing the results that we're getting. So it's all of those little, those little things that are leading towards us deciding, okay, now's the time to do it. But it's not one thing and it's not one person or even small group of people. It's a combination of really kind of keeping your eyes and ears to the ground of what's happening inside our organization, what's happening with our clients, what's happening in technology in the industry, um, and also the reality of where we're at as a team. Um, you know, so I, I think that it's all of those things, but it should be, it should be nonstop and ongoing. I think that's the exciting yeah. part of it. And I think that's why people like working here, that every day is entirely different. Um, and they know there's going to be sort of a different, unique, fun challenge that we're going to be able to be asked you know, a big company might ask us, what technology do you think we should use? I mean, they love being empowered with that kind of decision. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of how we approach things. I love that concept of having it be an ongoing thing. And this is why I believe so strongly in baking, like having a cadence for the things that need a cadence. So in your guys's case, you know, or in every agency's case, it's going to be like, what kind of projects are we working on internally? What kind of process improvements do we need to make? What kind of people do we need to hire? And getting the team involved means protecting time on a weekly or biweekly or monthly or quarterly, whatever the cadence looks like for you basis to facilitate that conversation and yep. extract those insights. So people have the space where they feel comfortable and confident actually sharing that. Yeah. Um, I always have to put my process hat on and say, there's a process for this. Yep. Uh, and so yep. I, I absolutely love that. 
And I believe that that's true about, um, to your point, almost everything in the business, even, even down to delivery efficiency, right? Like, are we scoping these things properly? Are are these clients working for us or or not? Should we get more of them or not? Um, all that stuff, you know, there's, there's a cadence to be had for having those conversations and facilitating them and then capturing that information so it can actually be useful to drive those decisions going forward. So love that insight. The last thing I want to ask you about, Keith, is uh, I know that there's a lot of people that listen to this show. We have a pretty particular demographic. And there are those agencies that are kind of between 15 to 25, 30-ish employees. And that seems to be a pretty common growth plateau for agencies. Yeah. Um, and obviously, that's a, it's a place that you've been and a place that you've grown past. And I'd love to know, what is your advice to an agency owner that's kind of at that stage in their growth and they're struggling to break through it? Um, and they want to get to where you're at today, you know, a team of 50 people. And, um, you know, uh, from what I've heard, when you get to 50, you know, there's, it's, you're still kind of growing through that fairly quickly. What does that look like for you? And what advice would you have for someone who's in that position today? Sure. First of all, I'd ask, do you really want to be 50 people? Okay. <laughs> I, 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 I think that it's important not to grow, just to grow. Um, yeah. we're not really motivated by that. And I've told the entire team, like if we, if we stayed at 50 people for the rest of our um, existence and we became smarter and more efficient and more profitable, and we were working on the clients and the projects we want to work on, that's great. I mean, for us, that's what we're driven by. We're not driven by a certain revenue number. We're not cert- driven by a kind of a vanity metric in some regard. So you really have to ask yourself, like, do you want to be 50? What's the value that that 50 brings? So we've only been 50 for a year. We went from 30 to 50 in a year. So there is no, so for, you know, roughly, so we're coming up on our 15th year. So for 13 years, you know, we were in the same, same spot, you know, we were the eight to 10 and then we were around hovering around 15 and then we were 25 to 30 for a long time. Um, I'd say that that 50 is a good number for us. And the reason it is just because, uh, again, I think I stated it earlier, it provides us a little of uh, administrative or, operational structure that, that that we otherwise wouldn't have. It provides more depth um, in each department and it builds up more of a bench. So you have more flexibility about whether people go on vacation or somebody leaves or you need to you know pull somebody off on a project and such. Um, so all those things are valuable uh, in, uh, in general. Um, you know, I think though, to really be able to scale to that number, you have to start taking some chances unless you sort of just get lucky. You have to start putting yourself out there a little bit more. So you had mentioned, you know, somebody from our team. I mean, we got more aggressive around um, about marketing ourselves, about getting more exposure for ourselves. So you know, we have opportunities like this um, uh, to just to go speak more. The, the, the conferences that we've put on, I mean, the same thing, 1682, it was around the business of innovation. We work with a lot of innovation teams. We're really interested in innovation. We want to be hired for innovation. So we basically hired a lot. We, we, I'm sorry, we brought um, a lot of our clients that we either spoke at the conference um, or attended the conference, um, which kind of got in their mind, well, this is 03 bringing us to a conference about innovation. They can kind of obviously tie the two together a little bit more, which is helpful. But additionally, other people that came really opened up. Wow, I didn't really think of 03 necessarily in this sense, that they were an innovation agency and they were working innovation teams and they were doing ventures projects and things of that nature as well. So it was really just, a, you know, it, it was it was us. We don't make any money on the event. In fact, we spend a lot of money on it. But we, we, we took a swing. We took a swing. We wanted to put a really awesome event on uh, for them that was able to uh, put us in a different light with clients or potential, potential clients. So, um, so I think there's just a couple of examples. I think you've got to I think you ha- you've got to be willing to take a couple couple risks, you know, go hire that business development person maybe for you that might work that's been around the industry and might cost more than, than you want to. I know that a lot of agency owners are like, well, I'm just going to be the business developer. And, and that's fine. I mean, that's not a bad thing, but sometimes you get stressed too thin and you can't do it all. Maybe that might be the thing you have to commit to or, you know, put an investment into. So I think you need to, I think you need to take some, to take some risks. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I like that a lot. And I think it's it's very true about a lot of folks that are kind of stuck at that um, 25 to 30 person kind of range. It, it usually, from my experience, comes down to a couple of things. Either they don't necessarily have a process that's predictable and repeatable for generating business, or if they happen to be one of those sales-driven organizations, a lot of time it's just a cash flow thing. So they haven't really figured out the operations piece of the business, the, right. the protecting the margins. Or to your point, it might just be that the owner is a bottleneck from a personal development or a being able to let go of control of certain parts of the business perspective. And it seems like, and this is certainly the case for you guys, once you figure out what that bottleneck is and you unblock it, the path to that next kind of growth plateau is quick and it happens fast. I mean, for you guys, it happened in a year after being at that level for quite some time. So um, that's great advice. I'm glad you brought that up. Last thing I I'm sorry, just real quick. Everything's about time. We're a service company, yeah. about the hour. So uh, whether it's even internal time, I mean, how much time are you wasting uh, on a pitch? And I say that, honestly, wasting sometimes. I mean, an RFP, yeah. are you going to you know, put 100 hours in, 250 hours in, give a bunch of ideas away? Like, is that worth it? Is the value there? Are you really looking at those uh, metrics? Um, so I think that everything comes back to the amount of time you're spending, which obviously equates to money lost or opportunity cost. Um, but... Um, uh, but yeah, I think that a lot of people, if they're a little smarter in their operations, even with clients, I think they'd be surprised about how much time they can save and free up to be a little more opportunistic and a little bit more um, uh, creative in taking a risk. A hundred percent. And I think that this comes back to what you were saying earlier about hiring, you know, an experienced person in finance, like um, having those insights allows you to see these things that you haven't seen before and quantify them and actually have a feedback loop on how your, how your efforts to improve that thing are actually functioning and having somebody that understands the service business model specifically. And I need to drive this home for everyone listening. is like not every accountant, even if they've been around for a long time or, you know, outsource CFO or consultant, if they don't have specific domain expertise for the service industry, because this is a different beast, yeah. then you may want to keep looking and find somebody who does because there's a lot of nuance. You know, the ways that you have to accrue revenue, the ways that you have to be accounting for time, the ways that you have to be splitting people's payroll up based on where their time is going to get accurate costs of uh, goods sold, get accurate customer acquisition costs, quantify the cost of your pitching process. Yep. All those things are nuances that you want to make sure you get right. So when you look at a report, it's telling you an accurate story, but what's going on in the business. So I think that's a great point to drive home. And and I love that you brought that up for the new agency owners that are coming up. Having that data helps you make those decisions. Um, And of course, I I love this statement because it's very self-serving and that's the thing that I live and breathe and love so much. So I appreciate you bringing that up, Keith. Uh, That's great. And so the last thing that I want to ask you about, because I think it's just very interesting, is what you're doing with uh, O3 World Ventures. So obviously you've reached, uh, you know, a certain level with the agency where now it's able to be a conduit for investing in ideas and um, actions that you believe in and that you want to put some influence behind. Um, Talk to me a little bit about where the decision came from to start um, investing investing in other products and companies through your agency? Yeah, so a couple of things. One, and this is actually, I think, a really um, potentially interesting takeaway for, uh, for your listeners um, uh, um, that they may be able to implement. So we started a, a labs program. And a labs program is very grassroots. We put about 200 hours a quarter aside and uh, to the opportunity to kind of experiment with new technology, essentially. Um, and we've, we've kind of gotten more sophisticated with it over time. Uh, so now we're seeing new technologies that are out there. We're trying to work on something. And then we're taking and kind of pitching that idea to a client. So it's happened with Alexa skills. So we've gotten better at kind of conversational design, be able to pitch that to a client, which they bought off on. We did it with a chatbot. Um, and we were able to kind of, you know, uh, um, then... Uh, a pitch to a client, which they've signed off on. So there's ways to basically, again, as long as you have parameters, you're like very specifically, I'm willing to put a hundred hours a quarter aside, 200 hours a quarter. And it's meaningful, not just so we can screw around and have fun. That's fine at the end product. And you see some of the ones on our site are kind of goofy, but that's just like, kind of like for them to be fun and to get some PR out of them. But there's actually a business purpose to all of them as well. So Mm. that kind of mindset I think led us into the ventures program. But honestly, I think that we are really proud of who we are as a services company and want to continue to focus on that. But we also recognize that um, we want to diversify our portfolio and uh, ways that we could do that is potentially kind of uh, invest in other products or companies that are out there and sort of act as an accelerator. So one in particular, it's a company called Irvin and they're uh, an AI agency. They have a machine learning platform and product that they um, uh, rely on to do a lot of the kind of heavy lifting for the work. 
but they also have kind of a team of experts and specialists that really kind of help on you know, the consulting side of things. Um, and that made sense in a, a, a variety of different ways. Number one, we already did a chatbot for our clients. We're already talking about AI. We had consider, considered building our own uh, kind of data, you know, data sciences team or AI team, which was going to be, you know, costly. Whereas, you know, this company came along from a prior relationship that we had and realized, you know what, this is a product that already exists. This is a team that's already in place. They have a CEO that we trust, that we like, and leadership, you know, that we like. And it's an extension of conversations that we already have. And they're at that point where their, their product is very sophisticated from a development standpoint, technology-wise, but it doesn't have the, um, the, the UX and the UI necessary so they can basically show demos, so they can put it in a digestible dashboard that people really want to experience. So it became this like obvious marriage. So now it's still run by them, but they sometimes work out of our office. We co-pitch together. We obviously have a you know, vested stake in the, in the company's success, um, uh, which, is, uh, which is great. And it's now ownership. And it's not really tied to O3. Well, we, obviously, we leverage some O3 services you know, for the work. Um, it's really its own company. It's O3 Ventures. So it enables us to kind of get more in product, get something that's less on the services side, build out you know, potentially additional revenue streams, um, uh, while also you know, bringing something to the team that they love working on, something really exciting, really cool, really unique. But, you know, the thing is, Marcel, it's, like, it's also, it's really important that we even focus that. We we're very focused on putting a statement of work together that we're not just going to, we're a partner, so we'll just do sweat equity, whatever you need us. It was very clear about how it was going to be broken down, the exact amount of hours that we're going to give to you over the course of a year or so, so we can budget accordingly. We knew this is how much we're going to willing to put towards this investment or, um, you know, this kind of like uh, ventures you know, project in particular. So hmm. it's, um, it's, been, it's been great in a lot of ways. And I think it's, uh, I think it's differentiated us uh, in a lot of ways, um, opened up different doors and having different conversations, which sometimes, honestly, just lead right back to O3 World Services. We're now able to come in a slightly different door because they look at us as a potential ventures company, uh, you know, a VC company, someone that can give them money not just trying to take money. So you'd be surprised when they look at you a little bit differently, the conversations that sometimes open up. Uh, I, I love this approach, um, you know, of, of using, you, you know, your platform essentially and, and the level of success that you guys have gotten to make strategic investments, obviously for the business. And to your point, come up with a creative way to add a whole level of service to your agency in the form of a partnership without necessarily having to bear the overhead or the risk of trying to bring that in house all at once. Um, and then also, you know, propping up, uh, the ecosystem that you guys are in and helping other businesses kind of come to life and, uh, have something to have a partner to work with. So I think this is a really cool approach and, uh, an inspiration, I'm sure to lots of folks that are listening that aspire to, to get to that level someday and, and to be able to do a similar thing. So with all that, for those that are listening at home that, uh, want to follow you, want to follow what you're doing at O3 world, where can they follow you online and connect? Sure. Uh, well, for one, I mean, happy to just give out my email. They're happy to you know, reach out to them directly. I love, you know, talking to other owners and, um, you know, entrepreneurs and everything else. So uh, just to connect or learn from me or me learn from them. Um, that's just Keith at O3world.com. As a reminder, it's the letter O because uh, O3 actually stands for ozone. Uh, so it's Keith at O3world.com. Or I'd say probably on LinkedIn, uh, just obviously under my name. That's the only two probably places worth following me on. <laughs> uh, awesome. The other stuff less active. So, cool. Well, if you guys are listening, uh, just check the show notes. I'll have uh, links to Keith's LinkedIn profile, his email address, and a link to their website as well. So make sure you check that out. And with that, Keith Scandone, thank you so much for taking your time and your energy and coming on here and sharing your experience uh, with our listeners today. We really appreciate your time, Marcel. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you've ever found yourself thinking, man, I get so much value from this podcast. I wish there was something I could do to return the favor. Well, today's your lucky day because you can leave us a review wherever you're listening to this. And it is incredibly helpful. Of course, if you haven't grabbed a free copy of the Agency Profit Toolkit, go and get that. It's got tons of free resources to help you improve your profitability. If you're looking to get in the fast lane and get help from experts to improve your profitability and measure your most important metrics, then apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. We'd love to chat with you and figure out how we can help. With all of that, thank you so much for being a listener and we will see you on the next episode.